Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Before we even begin, I want to say this is our 75th episode. It's the equivalent of the third quarter quell in the Hunger Games. And because it's a special day, I had to bring back my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the only co-host I'd want to go on a journey like this with, Maxwell LeBauer-Roth. And Maxie, hey, great shot. I think you just mispronounced my last name, but uh, hey, great shot to you, and I'm glad I can be here on, on our podcast. It's a, it's a crazy couple of days of Australian Open tennis, and I have too many things to say, so let's get to it. Oh, did I call you Maxwell LeBauer Schwartzman? No, I said Rotham. <laughs> a classic mispronunciation. Well, either way, Westhoff, if you could, cue the applause. Welcome back, Maxie. It's it's been you know it's been too long since we've had you on. We've had, as you mentioned, three crazy days of tennis. So many great matches. If you've missed any of the matches, if you've missed any of the storylines from the Australian Open thus far, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. It will keep you up to date with all things Australian Open over the next two weeks. Also, you know, college tennis is just around the corner, and you don't want to be the one behind on info. So go check out our website. We've got all the college tennis content you could want. Alex Gornat, Ryan Cardiff, Matt Stokowiak, Anna Bright, Bo Trace, Christian Harris, Kale Hammond, Parson Amati, Jamie McDonald. You know the team by now. They're all there. And, of course, if you want more immediate updates, check our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Our producer, Daniel Westhoff, is up to all sorts of things on YouTube, and we know you'll like them also, of course. Listen, rate, subscribe, review this podcast as well as our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. But with all of that said, Max Rothman, before we even begin, Westoff, I need some sound effects. I need fireworks. I need lion's roar. I need emergency sirens because Maxwell LeBauer, we had ourselves a day on day three. That we did. I mean, we could talk about a lot. I do want to give because, you know, I wasn't on the first two. Unfortunately, I want to take a second to just talk about a few things before we hop into day three that I've seen, um, if that's all right with you. Maxwell Bauer, it is your podcast as much as mine sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's questionable. <laughs> I'll get into the specifics, but... <laughs> I missed you. It's good to have you back. Me too. I missed me also. Um, so, starting with the classic Rothman take, uh, not even a take, a, cra- a classic Rothman comment. I have to, of course, talk about the clothing. Nike killed it. Oh, my gosh. He killed it with the new stuff that they brought on for the Australian Open. I know I'm going to be spending way too much money in the coming <laughs> days purchasing all the new stuff. So uh, shout out to you, Nike. Even the, the variation between what the different guys are wearing, too, is just great. Although I got to say I question fritz's shoes last night oh, that's a shout out to you for noticing that weird weird color coordination i don't, you I don't didn't, agree with it you didn't like the turquoise did you seriously oh. <laughs> you're rotham and it's turquoise it's just that type of day no i agree with you the nike gear was so clean the white shirt the black stripe with the little colored uh, nike swoop in in the box it it looks really good. It's not neon. They understand, you know, we want real people to buy this clothing, and so they're not going to do that to us. I've been a big fan. Absolutely. I mean, we've got some interesting other clothing, too. We had Murray with uh, a new brand, and, you know, that's a, another thing I wanted to just quickly shout out and say 
you know, definitely sad to see him go down. I know it's sad for you. Um, but his clothing, he had a, a new sponsor, and it actually was pretty cool. I kind of like the wings. The wings were, were interesting. I have to say I appreciated your text after he went down saying, you know, I'm usually not kind to Murray, but this sucks. Uh, that that helped me as a Murray fan. And, you know, I will also say for the Murray apparel, that was a one-time wonder. Hopefully he comes back out. Maybe he rocks the old school Adidas. It'd be nice to see him play his final match in Adidas. I think that would be cool. But, you know, there's plenty of tennis to talk about as well, and we should probably get into that, Rothman. You know, before we break down any matches on our last recap pod, Real quick, tell me we're not going to talk about the Tomich. <laughs> well, no. So that's that's all right. I'm 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 totally down. Let's go there then first. I was going to say there were a bunch of storylines, you know, coming into this round that I think helped set the tone. That is not one in regards to the tennis, but certainly this event. There seems to be some sort of coup or attempted coup going on in Tennis Australia. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not what you want to see on their end, but I, I do think, you know, so for people who don't know, uh, Bernard Tomich lost in, in his first round match and uh, had some choice words about Leighton Hewitt. And you know, Hewitt has since come out and kind of dismissed the comments saying, you know, that they're you know childish and, and not true. Um, but I, I think there are a few notable things to say. You know, one, first of all, Tomich did say all these things after a loss. Um, you you got to... You know, understand that the emotions are high after that i'm sure he was upset uh but not a great time for him to bring that out two these two have had kind of a rocky history um their their past is not you know very smooth back in 2009 there was even an article written about how these two clashed on court um so i'm not surprised there but i will say that you know on, on a third thing i the one thing that i do agree with for Tomich is that there is a little bit of conflict of interest in this fact that Hewitt is still kind of playing tournaments. I don't think there's any other Davis Cup, excuse me, Davis Cup coach that's still playing. Um, so I think there is a little bit of, of conflict of interest there. Um, but, you know, it's kind of hard to see Hewitt being the kind of guy to, you know, hate. Um, and, you know, we haven't heard anything from Kyrgios or Kakanakis as well. And uh, Kyrgios actually has purposefully, you know, stepped back from this conversation and not made any comments. Well, you know, the difference between you and I this week is I get to stay all day on tennis Twitter and follow the stories. I don't know if you saw today's late-breaking development with uh, Kyrgios last night on Instagram, I think, posted and, you know, take an Instagram post with a grain of salt, please, people. But I think he posted, it was was Hewitt on TV on the Dumanauer match, and Kyrgios goes, wonder what match he's watching or something like that. And I think the post has since been deleted. But, you know... Leighton Hewitt is retired, and he should be a Davis Cup captain. He's a face of Tennis Australia. He's a guy all of the young guys saw growing up, watching him dominate on tour. It's great to have his influence on some of these young players. I mean, you've seen the numbers he's done with Alex Dibonauer, but you have to agree with Tomic, Kokonakis, Kyrgios, you know, it, 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 especially for Tomic and Kokonakis in particular, you know, those guys would have needed wild cards to get into the Australian Open had they not gone through qualifying, or maybe Tomich just got in on his ranking. But you see players who are training with Leighton Hewitt getting wild cards into this event, and of course the Australian Open is put on by Tennis Australia. It's just a little suspect, and like there, there is something to all this conversation. It should be being had because it's not exactly right. You're right. Yeah, I, I hear all of that. The other thing that I will say, though, is I don't blame, you know, Hewitt for necessarily clashing with Tomich. Tomich is a tough 
chance no, to course. do it, I'm sure. They, I mean, if you watched his match, he's lazy on court. He wasn't running for balls. He has a bad attitude. Um, so, you know, it, it makes it all makes sense, but uh, definitely sad to see because Hewitt is a legend. And, you know, Thomas tried to come back at the end of his press conference and say, you know, his legacy is going to, you know, still stay stay down as one of the greatest Australian players. I was like, hey, nice, a hey, great shot. Way to kind of come back from all of your shit on him from the rest of your interview. But uh, I think it's sad to see because he is just a, a fantastic player and person. Yeah, it's certainly interesting, and you don't want any negative storylines to take away from what has been a fantastic event tennis-wise, and it's unfortunately that something like this has to occur during the Australian Open. But, you know, this is why it's been good to have Jamie, because we don't get into the other storylines. We keep it strictly to tennis, and I know, Rothman, you uh, have to go in a little bit. So let's try and get into the tennis now. Obviously, we'll get back to the Tennis Australia story later on when we do a longer episode. But coming into this second round... You know, we had only had four seeds lose. We had Isner, Edmund, Chechenato, and Johnson go down. The only really shocking one of that group, uh, probably Isner's loss to Riley Opelka. Of course, that was a four-tiebreak match. Uh, We've had a lot of the young guys really thrive. And coming into this round, it really, though, seemed like a lot of seeds were well-positioned to move forward. And right off the bat, we have probably the most shocking result I could have expected in this second round. We have Francis Tiafo taking out Kevin Anderson, the number five seed, four six six four six four seven five. Rothman, what did you see in this match? Because I, you know, this this match finished right before you and I got on our three hour conversation to watch tennis for the night. Yeah, so I mean, a, a lot to say about this match. I think the first thing that I'm going to comment on is uh, Tiafo's mental toughness in this. He loses the first set after, you know, hanging in tough. Starts the second set off with him getting broken immediately. Almost gets broken again and fights it off. Comes back and breaks back to win that second set 6-4. I mean, that right there showed me a lot about where he is mentally. I, he easily could have let that match slip right there, lose that second set, be down two sets of love, and who knows what happens after there. But, you know, hung with it, stayed tough, and, and took that second set. The other thing I think, you know, we, we talk about one thing with Tiafo a lot is his first serve and, you know, how important that is to his success. Going 70% on your first serves with him, I mean, that's a huge benefit for him in any match he's playing. And to add on top of that, he returned fantastically. I think that, honestly, right there was the biggest reason why he won this match. Anderson is a big server. He's a one-two punch, right? Big serve, big forehand, and start the point that way. Tiafa was ripping backhand returns, ripping his forehand returns, which you don't always see. You see him slice a lot of forehand returns. And it, it honestly was, I think, a huge reason why he was able to stay in front in a lot of the service games that, or, excuse me, stay in front a lot of the return games that he was in, and a huge reason why he was able to win this match. You said a lot of things there I agree with. Where I want to start, like you said, that first serve percentage, if you are playing a top 10 seed, especially as a young guy, you have to do the little things well. And one of the most important things you can do in tennis is make your first serve. It doesn't even matter to the location. You know, of course, that does matter a little bit as you get to that level. But just most importantly, put the pressure on the returner to make that first return. And as you mentioned, France in this match, 80 of 114, 70% on his first serves he wins 80 percent of those points now kevin anderson at six eight not the best returner but a very good returner for his size and 
it was so impressive the way Francis hit the first serve, even more impressively than that, seemed to follow his serves up with so many forehands that he was stepping into the court, you know, trying to move forward. And you look at his net points in this match, Francis goes an efficient 21 of 27, 78%, which is tough to do when you're playing a big guy like Anderson who's trying to impose his will, trying to move forward as often as possible. I think even, you know, moving deeper than that, it's not absurd to say Francis treed in this match. You know, 47 winners against 20... 47 winners, only 27... It's ridiculous. And it seemed like every slice, especially in those third and fourth sets, just dropped in. All those forehand chip returns, all of his little dink drop shots to try and draw Anderson forward. He seemed to anticipate every reaction volley from Anderson perfectly and get to the spot and beat Anderson there and then take the open court. This was about as good of a performance from Francis Tiafo as we could have expected. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, like you said, his slices were on, which I know you don't like, but I think for him it's one of those really important shots. He, he has a big game, and for him to be able to incorporate those and slow down the pace, especially against a guy like Anderson, is huge. Also, like you said, his, uh, excuse me, his passing shots were ridiculous. He had so many passing shots against a 6-7 And he didn't miss. Anderson. I know, he literally didn't miss. So I think it, it comes down to, you know, he just played this match perfectly. I also want to say on the Anderson side, you know, if you look at some of his stats, 50 winners against 35 unforced errors. He makes 65% of his first serves, wins 74% of his first serve points. You know, we talk about the little things. Kevin Anderson in this match only wins 49% of his second serve points. You know, the, the mile per hour on his serves really dropped. He had a 122 average on the first, 106 average on the second. And in those second serve moments, Francis, as you mentioned, stepped into the records on the turn. Uh, stepped into the court on the return, you know, swung through the ball, didn't always try to chip. And again, just everything worked. I don't know if I should take away from this. Man, Francis Tiafo looks really good because if you remember correctly, Rothman, he was in our stock down category. I know. And it's weird. Like, I don't know whether to think, you know, he just wasn't trying as hard in the, the pre-Australian Open tournaments or if he just wasn't really feeling it before now he is or if he plays better on the big stages uh, but I mean, he's a he's a new player from what we saw, you know, even a week and a half ago. Um, so you got to watch out for this kid. I mean, if he continues to play like this, uh, who knows how far he could go in this tournament? Bigger stage, second round match against number five seed Kevin Anderson or Hotman Cup playing Federer when Serena's your partner. <laughs> I think you got to go this match. I, I know that that match obviously is fun and it's legends, but uh, this is a whole a whole new level well, of you know. It's just fascinating because Tiafo got smoked at Labor Cup. He did not start his year well. And then he does this. Yeah, it, it, I mean, whoa, don't take a shot at Cam Nori. <laughs> That's my boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I should say, and I got into this conversation on Twitter a little bit with at CC Smooth. I believe his name is Chad. And, you know, sorry to address him by his Twitter name. And, you know, he he was always confident in Tiafo going into the Anderson match. And I feel like we do owe Tiafo a bit of an apology. You were right, Rothman, when you said we shouldn't read too much into the first few events of the year. Maybe I did a little bit too much so there, but everything worked for Francis in this match. It was so incredible. And I want to end with this, Rothman. In his next match, he draws Andreas Seppi, who we saw make a final in Sydney where he lost to Dimenauer. He's already taken out Steve Johnson in this tournament. Do you think Tiafo's got a, a shot at making the fourth round here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Seppi is playing some really good tennis. I'm, I am worried about that match with Tiafo. Uh, Seppi hits through the court really well. He's been playing smart. Uh, it's going to be a tough match, but uh, one that's very winnable for sure. And we do one more thing. I, I saw the, the Twitter exchange between you and Chad, and I uh, got to give him a, a shout out for calling the Tiafo win over KA. It's, uh, it's an impressive call. So shout out to you, Chad. A bold call, certainly. One I did not have in my Turnitopia. Uh, I I really I know you want to move forward and I do too because I know that we're going to talk about the Fritz match next and that match was awesome. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, we'll end it here. Francis Tiafo, if he, I would say, of all of the Americans left, his path to a quarterfinal probably the easiest. You look at you know comparing to Fritz, who's got Federer next, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, w- last question, I swear. What percent chance do you give Francis Tiafo of making the quarterfinals of this event? He would have to face the winner of Dimitrov Fabiano. I mean, is Tiafo about to get through, you know, Seppi and Dimitrov? I'd like to give him a 25% chance. I, I think Seppi is, you know, probably a, a 50 to 60% chance. I, I, with the way Seppi's playing, it's going to be tough regardless. Uh, Dimitrov... I think it's a tough matchup for Tiafo. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you average them out, you're looking at like a 20, 25% chance. But I would love <laughs> to see it. It would be sick. Oh, I'm not going to check your math there, but I like it. Let's leave that there. All right. Talking about our next match, as you mentioned, this may have been the highest level of tennis I saw all day. And that, of course, is Taylor Fritz, who took out Gael Monfils, the number 30 seed, 6-3, Rothman, you are from SoCal. This is your guy. What did you see in this match that allowed Fritz to have this success? I mean, first of all, as you said, this match was so high quality and so fun. I mean, Fritz was just ripping forehands across the court, Monfils being classic Monfils and just getting to literally everything. Um, I was, you know, tipsy, eating sugarfish, watching this match, <laughs> screaming at the television. My family thought I was nuts. Um, and this match was awesome. So a few things. One, I haven't seen Fritz play this well in, in a good while. I mean, this was confident Fritz at his finest. Um, the thing that I know you're going to comment on, and we've commented on probably a thousand times are his volleys. Like he, he literally, I mean, first of all, he shouldn't have lost that second set. That tiebreaker was his. Had he come into the net, he wins that second set and he probably wins this in straights. Um, so that's going to continue to be a problem for him. Uh, the thing that I think he did really well in this match was he put his backhands down the line and changed direction with his backhand, which you don't always see. Usually I see that as more of like a comfort shot for him. He's, you know, he's going to rip it. He's going to rip it cross court. Uh, but we, we saw him attack that a little bit, which is awesome. And then another thing for him, just his first serve percentage. Again, 68 first serve percentage is, is what you need against a top player like Murphy to stay in front of the service games. And it was just awesome. A really impressive performance from Chris. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you and I were on the phone during this match. This was the match that kept me awake till what, 2, 2.15, whatever it was, Eastern time. And we also have a group chat going, me, you, and Jonathan Kelly, of course. And we were talking about this match on and on and on. And I have to start with the volleys. So you look at the stats in this match. Monfils, 5 of 12, 42%, really did not move over, uh, move in at all. Just tried to keep Fritz moving side to side because, as we know, Fritz is not the best mover. Although he looked a lot better in this match, but hold on to that point for a second, Rothman. 
it says online that Fritz went 18 of 34 with a 53% conversion rating at the net. That should have been 55 of 70 because Monfils was begging him to move forward. Seriously. Just every opportunity saying, come on, Taylor. Like, come on, hit this forehand down the line. Change direction on me. I want you to move forward. And Fritz just was not confident enough to do it. It honestly is cringeworthy watching him not come to net on points where it's just so obvious that he should be. It, like, I, I literally, I, I'm telling you, I was screaming at the TV telling him to come in because he wasn't. Um, <laughs> I completely agree with you. It it was so maddening because here's Taylor Fritz looking so good from the baseline. I mean, everything that was within his strike zone, he hit so comfortably. I don't think he missed a forehand or a backhand. It was only when he did something extracurricular, when he tried to move forward, when he tried to hit a slice while stretched, when he tried to hit a volley. You know, there's a, a video from our favorite Twitter account at Double Fault of Fritz trying to hit a volley where he falls over and it still helps him win the point. You know, on that 6-5 point in the second set tiebreaker, Fritz was up where he had a set point. There were a couple of lets that went on, whatever, but there was the easiest forehand and Fritz just cooked it long because he didn't want to move forward. I, I don't mean to, you know, sound down on Taylor Fritz. He played outstanding in this match, but still, come on, Taylor, you're so close. Yeah, I think if he wants to step up to the next level, he's got to figure that out because it's really always missing. It really is always missing, and a little, you know, a little more movement. But I thought he moved well in this match too. Yeah, he looks good. As you mentioned, the serve looks great. The every ball he strikes, it feels like it could be for a winner against anyone not named Gael Monfils. Uh, he looks physically fit. You know, he did not get tired in that fourth set, and both of these guys had a ton of break opportunities throughout the match. Fritz goes 3 of 15. Monfils goes 1 of 13. You look at the total points. One Fritz, 175. Monfils, 170. Taylor was just clutching this match, man. He just, he stepped up. He did, and I think clutch is the right word. The big points, he came through, played smart. I, I liked the tennis he played. He played smart tennis. So, uh, I, you know... Is he going to beat Federer? You know, I can see him taking a set. Uh, But I think Fed's too smart to to lose to a guy like Fritz. He'll definitely draw him into the net with drop shots. He's definitely going to play around with his movement and and take some pace off and do some funky things. I I don't see Fritz being able to take more than a set. The difference between Gael Monfils and Roger Federer, at least in terms of matching up with Taylor Fritz, Gael Monfils gave Taylor Fritz all of the time in the world. Roger Federer will take as much time away from Fritz as possible. And so that first serve is going to be huge. We need to see his first serve percentage in the 70% range. We need to see him winning 70% of those first serve points. You know, I think if you're weighing the two options between Tiafo and Fritz, Tiafo is the guy you got to bet on to make the fourth round. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the only thing I would say is that Fritz's, a lot of those balls that Fritz hit last night, Federer's not getting. So, you know, if Fritz can That's get true. a chance to get a little time and continue to rip the way he was, it can be scary for Fed. So Fed's going to have to play smart to take this match away from Fritz. It's, it's going to be a very fun match. One of the matches I'm most looking forward to in round three. But all right, let's move on to our next match. Unfortunately, those were the only two American winners. And on today's podcast, of course, we're going to be talking about the American men because there were five outstanding American matches last night. The first guy who lost that I think we have to talk about, Mackenzie McDonald, who falls to Marin Chilich, the number six seed and defending finalist, 7-5, 6-7, 6-4, 6-4. 
Mackey did everything possible, Rothman, to win. And in the end, Childress was just too good. Yeah, I mean, it it sucks, too, because if you watch this match, the first set, you know, an unfortunate way to lose in that last service game. But then, so if you watch that second set, I mean, he fights off three set points, and the tiebreaker comes back, plays some clutch tennis to take the second set. And, you know, Childress just played some great tennis. The thing that I love from Mackey, and it's it's something that Taylor Fritz could learn a little from, are his volleys. He came into the net 41 times. In, oh, he came into the net 44 times this match, and he won 23 of them. That's a 52% conversion rate, and he was smart about it. I mean, he's ripping backhands down the line and following it, and, and that's the thing I think that he realizes he needs in his game because he's not going to out hit players. He's not, he doesn't have the biggest serve. He does have great returns, but I think that's the little specialty to Mackey that's going to make him successful on tour is that he's got fantastic volleys, great hands at the net and he's quick. So if you watch a lot of the points that he was, you know, beating Chilich, especially on those return games are points where he's moving into the net. And then I love to see that for him even more going into his career. 110 on 151 for his first serve percentage, 73%. As we mentioned, when you're playing a top 10 seed, that's the percentage you have to have if you're Mackie McDonald. Now, you know, the, as you mentioned, he rushed the night. He can change direction as well as anyone. He can absorb pace as well as anyone I have ever seen. I mean, Marin Cilic hit the cover off of a few tennis balls, and it didn't matter. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cilic, I, I watched a few points where Mackie was you know, going back and forth on the forehands and Chilich shanks a few forehands because he just absorbs that piece. His technique is so sound. So when your technique's like that, you just know, I got to be in the right position and he's putting it back right cross court. It, it was awesome. Even better sometimes, he goes down the line. He redirects that pace down the line and you're just, you know, Marin Chilich is standing there going, oh my God, what am I supposed to do against this guy? And, you know, the other thing Mackey did well, he holds Chilich, who, you know, 6'6 himself, 26 of 53 on second serves for Chilich. He only wins 49% of those points when Mackey was able to be the aggressor, when he was able to take balls early, as you mentioned, move forward. He had success in this match. Now, Marin Chilich balled out. 25 aces against only six double faults. He hit 67 winners against 56 unforced errors. You know, he he goes 6 of 15 on break points versus Mackey's 3 of 7. There is no doubt in my mind, as well as Mackey played, that Marin Chilich was the better player yesterday. Uh, but I think it's a credit to Mackey because Chilich's level was high during this match. It's not as though he played poorly, as I think was, you know, Francis played really well, but I don't think Anderson played his best tennis. Chilich played really well, and Mackey rose to the occasion. Absolutely, and I think, you know, it, I'm, I'm, if I'm any of the players in Chilich's side of the draw, I'm worried. When you get tested like that early in the tournament and come out and talk the way he did, you got to look out. He's going to got to be feeling good after that match. And Like you said, he played some really solid tennis. It's not like he, you know, gave away that set to Mackey. So, you know, kudos to Mackey, but I'd be worried if I came across Chilich in the yeah, next couple rounds. You, you already said it, but for Mackey to be down 6-3 in a, a second set tiebreak after already losing the first set and come back and win that set 11-9 in that breaker, that's an awesome jump for him. And, you know, last year he loses to Grigor in five in the second round. This year he loses to Chilich in four. Eventually the draws have to be better for this guy, and he's just someone to always monitor moving forward, right? You'll be watching him. But not even that. Not not well. I mean, of course, it would be nice to see him get a better draw. But he's going to win one of these. He's going to beat a top guy. I'm telling you. 
No, if if I, I mean he beat Stevie Johnson at Cincinnati when I think he was 17 or 18 years old. You're right. Eventually, it all clicks for this guy. And Mackey's still what 23 years old. He's not exactly you know a veteran. So I think I think his best tennis is still ahead of him. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. All right, well then, let's move on to two other American matches. We're not going to do full breakdowns on this one, but I still want to spend a little bit of time talking about them. The first one, Diego Schwartzman, the number 18 seed, takes out Dennis Kudla, 7-5, 3-6, 6-7, 6-4. This is a match. Kudla obviously goes down two sets to love, but ends up going up 4-1 in that third set. You know, Neither of these guys could hold serve. Schwartzman has nine breaks. Kudla has seven. You know, Rothman, what did you see as the difference in this match? You know, to be honest, I, I can't even believe it went five sets. I mean, if you looked at Kudla's body language after the second set ended, I, I thought he was going to lose the third, you know, six out, he was going to walk off the court. Um, so, you know, kudos to him for somehow, you know, sticking with it. Um, it this match was kind of funky, in my opinion. I, I don't know if there was a, a huge difference maker. I think Kudla, you know, made some poor shot choices at times. Uh, you know, having, what was it, you know, 16 breaks in a match is just absurd. Not being able to hold your serve. And, and it's not like Kudla has a bad serve. His serve is, you know, fairly solid. And so I, I don't know if there was any one thing, unless you saw something specifically that was the difference maker in this match. Well, I thought it was two things. Or two things that really stood out to me. One, neither of these guys could win a point on their second serve. Schwartzman. Goes 42%, 24-57. Kudla, 29-69, also 42%. The biggest difference to me, Schwartzman just had a little more grind in him, and that's not to take away from Dennis Kudla, who obviously has to grind when you're down two sets to love. But you look at this match, 56 winners for Schwartzman, 55 winners for Kudla, relatively similar. 63 on first errors for Schwartzman, 92 for Kudla. I think just... Kula ran out of gas, and look, he comes to the net in this match 43 times versus Schwartzman, 23. He wins 24 of, of those points for 56% uh, conversion, but I think he forced his way forward a bit too often in this match. In the end, that was the difference. Schwartzman just had the legs. Yeah, I mean, there, there's not much of those legs. They're, they're pretty short, um, but <laughs> he, he definitely... I was going to say, who do you think is taller, him or Jamie McDonald? <laughs> Uh, probably Jamie. I told Jamie that last night, and he goes, Alex, I am 5'10", and there is no way he's 5'10". I was like, Jamie, there's no way you're 5'10". <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, the racket looks huge in Diego's hands. <laughs> like, it's crazy. I, I really just want to see, like, a, I'm sure it's happened, like a Schwartzman Isner, a Schwartzman Karlovich, a Schwartzman uh opelka match and just see their end end of match handshake and just the height differential oh it'd be a golden picture well you mentioned height and that's a perfect transition for riley opelka's match but i will also say do you remember the duty sela evo karlovich handshake where he got on the chair and hugged him yeah something like that yeah exactly that's perfect So that's what we're looking for. But speaking of tall players, Riley Opelka coming off of his 7-6-6-7-7-6 win over John Isner loses his match to Tomas Fabiano, 6-7-6-2-6-4-3-6-7-6-10-5 in that brand new fifth set super breaker. Rothman, 
we we watched this match and you know Opelka sixty seven aces against eight double faults. That's ridiculous. He wins eighty five percent of his first serve points. That's ridiculous. He hits ninety seven winners against only sixty seven unforced errors in this match. That's ridiculous. But still, when you're out there. Look, Riley Opelka already blocked me on Twitter, so I feel like I have to be sensitive about what I say. But it, it's just he has so many tools in his toolbox, and yet he just he doesn't know what to do with them yet. He doesn't know what am I trying to build with these tools. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I keep saying about him is that I don't think he realizes how much time he has on court. He's huge. He covers the ground well, and I feel like he thinks he has to be – more you know aggressive than he needs to be he, he's in points and then all of a sudden he goes for like a ridiculous down the line shot which you know sometimes lands and when it does he hits the ball so hard that he wins the point but he just his shot selection is poor it's just so poor like it, there were so many points it, that first set tiebreaker which you know crazily went 14 16 or whatever it didn't need to he, he played some stupid points and so I think he just, like you say, he just doesn't know what he wants to do. He, he has some more time, obviously, he's young, to learn and figure it out. But the earlier he does it, the more successful he's going to be. Well, it was so encouraging to see him step in on returns in this match. I think, you know, 20 of those 97 winners he had have to be just returns that he just blew off the court. You know, I think his best shot is honestly his backhand down the line. I think when he steps into that ball, that's the thing he can do at his height that no one else can do. And it's just, it's so phenomenal. And I don't mean this to take away. And, you know, this is such a good learning experience for Riley because he's going to have a ton of tiebreakers in Grand Slams throughout his career. But still, you know, a 43% win percentage on his second serve points going 26 of 60. That's just not going to cut it, especially when you're as tall as Riley Opelka is. A hundred percent. And like you said, that backhand down the line is an amazing shot that he has. I mean, he won the first set off of a backhand down the line that Fabiano couldn't get. Um, I do want to point out one other thing before we wrap up the, the Americans. I think something that he needs to do more is come into the net, especially on the return games. There was a few times throughout this match where it was almost like, you know, I'm just going to make a return and come into the net, and he won those points. And I think that it, it is a classic example of him not realizing what he wants to do because he covers, obviously, he's six, whatever, seven foot. He covers the almost the entire net when he's up there. And for him to be able to be aggressive, even if he hits a hard return down the middle, these guys are not most likely going to put a, a perfectly placed, excuse me, a perfectly placed passing shot. I mean, he covered, like I said, he covers most of the net. So I think he has a few things and strategically that he needs to work on that. I would love to see him do more of that. He was super successful with it in this match. Well, like you said, coming to the net 29 times in a five-set match for someone like him, just unacceptable. That number's got to be higher. And, I, and I'm and i sure he's aware of that, and he's probably kicking himself about it. Now, we should say to Fabiano's credit, 80, 80% first serve percentage wins 80% of those points. You know, Riley went after his second serve, so Fabiano only wins 48% of his second serve points. But still, an efficient 13 of 16 at the net, 33 winners against 24, uh, 26 unforced errors. It was a tidy match from Fabiano, and it's just unfortunate fortunate for us as fans of American tennis that Riley won't be through to the third round but you mentioned we're wrapping up the American men's uh, portion of this I want to ask you even before Ryan Harrison plays his match today against Daniil Medvedev 
Do you consider round two a success for the Americans? Absolutely. I mean, look, <laughs> we just had Tiafo take out Anderson. We had Taylor take out Monfi. And sure, I would have loved to see Mackie win that match against Chilich and for Kudla and Opelka to win those matches. But especially for the young guys, I think this is a wake-up call to the rest of the world. You know, watch out for these guys. They're the real deal. Can you imagine if Mackie had won that match against Chilich, I think people would be freaking out right now. So 100%, it is a win for the young Americans. I have a hard time seeing Harrison take this match against Medvedev, who's just playing fantastic tennis. But if he does, it's even more successful. Even more of a success for the Americans in this round. Completely agree with you. Well, then let's quickly move on and talk about some of the other matches from the day. You start on the seated front, Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, both crews in straight sets. Uh, that Federer-Evans match was interesting. Yeah, I mean, Dan Evans is playing some good tennis, so push Federer probably more than Federer was expecting. But uh, yeah, I'm nice to watch too if you want to watch some cool highlights. Look, if, if it ain't snowing, Dan Evans ain't going. And it was snowing on Rod Laver last night. So shout oh out to God, him. That one was bad. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, talking about some of the other seeds, uh, you know, Karen Kachanov plays one of the best straight set matches I have ever seen in his 6-3-6-3-6-3 win over our guy Yoshihito Nishioka. You know, Yoshi looked good. Kachanov just looked great. Yeah, that, that backhand's really working for Kachanov. He looks fit. Uh, I, I'm liking weapons that. off both sides now, though, right? I mean, the backhand is equally as dangerous. I 100. percent Yeah, and yeah, I, I like our pick of him going to the uh, to the final. I should also say we haven't had a, a podcast since we had this revelation. Our brackets are the same. They're literally the same. It's <laughs> funny when we were going over it, we were like, "All right, so who are our semifinalists?" And they're literally the same. We were like, "Wait a second, who are your quarterfinalists?" Basically the same. <laughs> And then it's, wait a second, do you have John Millman going to the third round? Oh my gosh, so do I. <laughs> oh, I wish he had beaten Batista Goot. That was a sad five-set loss for uh, for our no. guy. It's just hard whenever you get down two sets to love. But yes, we skipped the order a bit, but Batista Goot takes out Millman in five. Tsitsipas takes out Troisky in four sets. Tsitsipas, I feel like, has been the beneficiary of a pretty solid draw so far, but things are going to start picking up for him moving forward. You have Basilashvili taking out Travagila in five sets. Dimitrov moving on against Cuevas in four sets. Grigor Dimitrov, the quietest third-round appearance he's had at a major in his career. Uh, good for him to get a couple wins under his belt. You have 26-seed Fernando Verdasco taking out Radu Elbot in straight sets. That should have been a match against Michael Moe, but I'll hold that grudge for another time. Alex Dimenauer in the late thriller takes out qualifier Henry Laxanen, 6-4-6-2, Despite the fact that it's five sets, Rothman, you got to like Dimenauer getting through that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, not, not what you want to see from him. I'm also going to correct you on your pronunciation. It's Henri Laxanen. Uh, oh, my God. Watch some more tennis, please. All right. Thanks, um, Mike Cation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not, not what you want to see from Dimenauer. Not that I'm worried about his fitness going into the rest of the tournament, because that dude could run, you know, ten marathons and still play, you know, with the Australian Open and be fine. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely a tougher match than we were hoping. I, I want to bring up Burdich beating Hasse. Before you do that, how many days does it take Alex Dimenauer to run ten marathons worth of miles? One. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, a week? You think he could do it in a week? Uh, no way. He could do yeah, it in. I mean, no, he could do it in a month. If he could do a marathon in, you know, let's say he could do it in three hours, which is aggressive. That's thirty hours if he did ten marathons. Look, not but, to, but realistically, not, it, it gets longer because as you get late into the later marathons, it takes longer. So if you average five hours, hours, what do you do? You can do it in the week. So I did in training for college tennis to stay, or college tennis for college club tennis. Sorry for making the distinction to stay in shape for yo because I wanted to impress you whenever I stood next to you. I ran you know four miles a week, you know six times a week, so that's twenty four. I did that you know for ten minutes straight. Eleven break. The point is, I say Alex Dimenauer does it in a month or less for sure. Yeah. But please, t- talk about Tomas Burdich. As you mentioned, he dominated Robin Hassa in straights. I mean, yeah, I think I called it. So I want to take credit for this call because I, I really harped on Burdich's playing. And you thought I was crazy for bringing him in, even in the equation for our stock ups. Um, but I, I really think that he looks good. Also, now he's rocking the hydrogen gear. He's joining uh, <laughs> He's joining Basilas really in, in that hydrogen gear, which is – Kind of interesting. I don't. I don't see Burnich as as that kind of guy. But uh, yeah, it didn't look bad either. Again, just I, I would be worried. Uh, I think he's dangerous in this tournament right now. My counterpoint to you, Tomas's Burnich, his draw broke perfectly. He gets you know Kyle Edmund, who's not playing well in round one. Then he gets Hasa, who again he's probably played a million times in round two. Now he's got Schwartzman, who's coming off of a battle with uh, Kudla from in round three. Then he'll have the winner of Dimenauer Nadal, and you know that guy's going to be tired. Hypothetically, if Burgess can take this form into round four, things are breaking beautifully for him. So you're right. I apologize for mocking you. Hey, great shot to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and honestly, my my uh, change of chat ridiculous prediction of him making the quarterfinal. Not super crazy. I'm not even kidding. That's probably the smartest changeover chat take you've had. I know, and you were ripping me for it. You're like, this is gonna look terrible for us. <laughs> hey, great shot to me. Uh, yeah, and then our last match from the day, Andreas Seppi takes out Jordan Thompson, six three six four six four. Uh, we'll wrap up by previewing the matches we want to see on day four. But before we do that, Rothman, I want to ask you, Americans aside, what was your favorite match from day three? Oh, favorite match from day three. Honestly, I don't even know if I can choose one because I, I think it is choose one besides the American. So I think those were my favorite matches. Uh, if, I, if I had to choose one, I'm probably going with the catch on Ishioka just because it was, you know, two young guys that I enjoy watching and it was, you know, entertaining tennis. But uh, it, the American matches were my favorite. Yeah, that's fair. I I agree. Catch on Nishioka, great. Uh, can I get a little catch on out of you? Oh, yeah, my my favorite match of the day for sure. Americans not included. But all right, let's do a quick uh, preview for day four. You know, I didn't have any matches as, you know, must stay up till 4 a.m. to watch, but I divided this into three categories. Stay up till four, what if awake, and take a flyer on it. I know you're going to say either Djokovic, Songa, or Wawrinka, Rayonich belong in the stay up till 4 a.m. What are we going to see from either of those matches that we haven't seen before? It's not that you. It's not even that you haven't seen it before, but 
First of all, I think you can see a potential five setter out of a song of Djokovic's song and can pull some good tennis out of his So absolutely it's a four AM, you know, match to stay up for. And then the Vavrinka Ranich, I mean, like you said, Ranich is playing great tennis and this is a match with two big hitters. It's just it could be also a five setter with great tennis. I think you're ridiculous for saying that. Rayonich and Warinka are going to have uh, no points longer than 10 shots, and that just doesn't interest me. You're right. Song of Djokovic, intriguing. Uh, that's why it's, if I'm awake, I will definitely be watching it. But there's no – I just don't see Song of testing Djokovic. Of course, I didn't see Tiafo testing you know, Anderson, so maybe I'm just really wrong. But I, I don't know. I've been there, done that, I guess. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the matches I am taking a flyer on – uh, you know, Jeremy Chardy is our guy from Stowe, and I'm always going to plug them. Yeah, that's an interesting match to me. Those are guys who are on a Labor Cup team together. I'm sure they know each other's games. If Zverev can maintain his form from round one, that's something I want to see in this match. I think if any match in this Australian Open is going to end in a fist fight, it's Ryan Harrison versus Daniil Medvedev. I feel like those guys could actually beat the f- out of each other, so that could be a lot of fun to watch. But the match, non-singles related, but the one I am most interested in, Jack Sock on the doubles court with for- former Texas A&M player Jackson Withrow. They take on the two-seeds, Cabal and Farah. Rothen, any chance you watch that match? Uh, no. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, I just, it, it'll be interesting to me. I want to know where Jack Sock's head's at. I want to, you know, I'd want to see... Can he move on from this? You know, he's no longer playing with a Brian, but can he still be the dominant force we know him to be on the doubles court? It's interesting to me. Like I said, I'm I'm not locked in, but I'll take a flyer on it. If it's on and I see it's on, I'll probably watch a little bit. Yeah, I'll I'll take a peek as well. I I also, I want to say I am excited for two other matches. I I really am interested to see how the Chang and Bear match goes. Bear's playing some good tennis, and Chang, I think, is questionable. I think think he's been playing well, but... I'm not so convinced. And then I'll like to put up the Martyr Kui match. I think Martyr has been playing some good tennis, and, you know, I, he's our guy, obviously. We got the chance to talk with him, and I, would, I think it's going to be a good match. I'm not even kidding. I almost made a fourth category on this list said, saying and calling it Great Shot Podcast Matches because I knew you were going to mention those two, and I almost wanted to mention them as well. So I'm glad you went there. I, I continue to say it. Chung fans in the stands, let me see you clap your hands. These Australian crowds are killing it. But all right, we can wrap there. You know, I know you're out of town this weekend, so you may not get a chance to jump back on. Any final thoughts before we go? Nope, I just think this is... Chung fans in the stands, let me see you clap your hands. That's what I thought you were about to say. But sorry, go on. No, I mean, I think this is the the Australian Open we all could have asked for and. You know, we were talking before and saying, you know, there's a lot of young guys. We could see some upsets, and we already have. So uh, it's just, you know, it's playing out exactly the way I wanted to see it. Hey, you haven't gotten a chance to rebut this yet. Well, we talked about it privately, though. Dimenauer Nadal. I have Dimenauer. Am I crazy? I mean, yes, but I might take him, too. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. But uh, it could happen. It's going to be such a fun match. Oh. Make a deal with me and the listeners. If Alex Dimenauer knocks out Rafa Nadal, you're coming on the next day's pod. Absolutely. Zero oh. questions. 
All right, lock it in. I love it. Well, then, thank you to you, Maxie. As always, a huge thank you to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- job to do this week, the entire Australian Open, and as always. Shout out to our Crack Rackets team, who have been you know hard at work trying to keep you guys up to date on all things Australian Open. And again, if you want to catch up on anything, go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. But one last time, from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, from our super producers, Daniel Westoff and Max Fligner, and from our wonderful co-host Maxwell Bauer Rothman who is back and it is good to hear from you Maxie I'm your host Alex Gruskin Max what do we say to our fans alright great shot <laughs> Australian themed I love it and we will see you all next week great shot by you Maxie <laughs>